This is the Mosaic Church Podcast. Mosaic Church is committed to making disciples that discover Christ, connect in Christian community, and serve others and the world. I just want to continue with the storyline. It's not a perfect storyline in the sense of uh, what I'm preaching on, but it is after the uh, death and resurrection of Jesus. And if you have your Bibles with me, turn to John chapter 21. Verse 1 through 19. John chapter 21, verses 1 through 19. Follow along on your, in your Bibles or follow along on your smartphone. But this is a scripture I'm sure that you are familiar with. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cain of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and the two others of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said. We're coming with you, they told him. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore. However, the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Men, Jesus called to them, you do, do you have any fish? And they said, no. Verse 6, cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you will find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. Therefore, the disciples, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer garment around him and plunged into the sea. But since they were not far from land, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging their net full of fish. And when they got out on the land, they saw charcoal fire there, fish lying on it, and bread. Verse 10, but some of the fish you just caught, excuse me, bring some of the fish you just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter got up and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? More than these. Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. And he asked him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, uh, John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved that he asked him a third time, Do you love me? He said. Lord, you know everything, and you know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. I assure you, when you were young, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hand, and someone else might tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to signify by what kind of death he would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. 
Now, the Bible is very clear as we read the Scripture. Uh, if we go to the next PowerPoint, it's like God is the God of second chances. And there's some parallel truths. If we read the Scripture, you're going to see some absolute parallel truths that uh, I believe that hopefully will challenge us uh, and, and uh, awaken our spirit to God's truth. I have here that who needs the second chances? It's the God of the God of second chances. And I'm, as a testament here, telling you that I am a recipient of second chances. Anybody else? Amen? I'm a recipient of third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances and tenth chances and, and hundreds of chances. It says that we just read that for the third time Jesus appeared to disciples in verse 14. So we already know that the, the, uh, the uh, crucifixion had happened, the resurrection had happened, there had been some conversation. But for some reason, we're going to see here, that Jesus will appear to them three times. We know from reading the Scriptures that Peter has already denied Jesus along the way. We already know that very much like our own life, we have abandoned the faith. We have abandoned the fellowship with Jesus, just like Peter. Peter who needed a second chance. And so before we dive into who needs a second chance, we need to consider Peter's story and figure out where he was at spiritually when Jesus approaches him the third time. So my title for our message this morning, Who Needs a Second Chance? And I would say, the person who needs a second chance is the person with the greatest intentions. The greatest intentions. How many of you made promises early on in your journey with Jesus? I know I did. I would be too embarrassed and shameful to tell you all the promises I made in the beginning, when I raised my hand when I was 18 years old. In Matthew chapter 26, you just have to read in verse 33, Peter told him, even if everyone runs away, this is Peter speaking before the crucifixion, even if everybody runs away because of you, I will never run away. I only chuckle because I've said stuff like that to the Lord before. I assure you, Jesus said to him, tonight before the Easter crows, you will deny me three times. Even if I have to die with you, Peter told him. Can you imagine? He was, had incredible intentions that he would never run away from Jesus. And even if he had to die with Jesus, he was going to be there with him. I will never deny you. And all the other disciples said the same thing. And I would tell you that nobody had greater intentions than Peter. And as I look at my own life, and maybe you can look at your own life, maybe you've all had great intentions. We've all made promises that we were going to do something for Jesus. But maybe we didn't follow through. My second, or my good intentions and Peter's intentions didn't come to fruition. So who needs a second chance? Those with great intentions. The second person who needs, or the second type of person who needs a second chance is with the greatest passion. 
you know, one of the challenges of, of ministering to young people is that they have a lot of passion. They have a lot of passion. Maybe you've heard me, and I've said it in the past, you could not beat the passion that I had for Jesus. When it came to youth group night, I was incredibly passionate. Nobody could outraise my hands. Nobody could sing as loud as I did. I was passionate for Jesus on Wednesday night. But it only took two days to find myself not passionate for Jesus on Friday night. So Peter had great passion. In John chapter 18, verse 10, again, before the crucifixion, it says, Peter, and this is, they're, they're about to take Jesus. Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it back and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. And I would tell you that, and I would argue that Peter had tremendous passion for Jesus. But as we know already that his passion did not carry him to commitment. One of the challenges, as I was saying about college students, is that they have tremendous passion. And I'm not trying to be controversial here, but it seems to me in my realm of ministerial credentialing, what seems to be a, a pinnacle of success is to get people passionate at an event. And there are a lot of awesome, passionate events. There's one big event called Passion. I mean, that's what the aim is. And I understand the meaning behind it, that they want to get people emotionally passionate about Jesus. And I'm here to tell you in the story that Peter was pretty passionate for Jesus. So passionate that he drew his sword for Jesus. You know, I'm wondering sometimes in my youthful days, did I not draw the sword and slice people spiritually, you know, because they weren't as passionate. They weren't as passionate as I was. I remember just pointing my finger at someone and telling them, like, they're not committed, not knowing their story. Peter was a man with great passion. Who else needs a second chance? I would say those with the greatest guilt. In Matthew chapter 26, this is right when he denied Jesus the third time. Peter remembered the words in verse 75 that Jesus had spoken, and before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And look what he did. He went out outside and wept bitterly. He went outside and wept bitterly. He had tremendous amount of guilt. It's funny that, uh, I don't know if you've ever read, uh, like, theological books. But there's a lot of questions, like, why did Peter go fishing? After Jesus was crucified, he now knows that he was 
raised from the dead, but he's off fishing. At my first reading, I thought maybe he went fishing just to be, you know, alone. Some people love fishing. Now, I'm, I'm being serious if you want to raise your hand. How many of you like fishing, like pole fishing? One, two, three, four, five. That's good. I don't. So, um, But I do like getting alone sometimes. And I think that's the, the, the appeal of fishing. That's one of the reasons I have a motorcycle. Put on a helmet, no, no cell phone. At least I don't. I've seen some motorcycles with a cell phone. That is crazy. Put on a helmet, and you just kind of just zone out in a sense. You just kind of zone everything out. And I'm wondering if that's what Peter was doing, just going fishing to just contemplate. Uh, Or maybe he was like, hey, I guess this disciple thing isn't working out, and I better go back to what I already know. I already know how to go fishing. And so maybe that's why he went out to go fishing. Because the text makes it very clear that they already knew that Jesus had raised, was raised from the dead. And so as I read it again, and I, I was just kind of brought to my attention this, and it made sense to me, that maybe Peter wasn't trying to go back to his old work or just to get a loan, but maybe he was struggling with his guilt. It's very, um, to me as a minister, it's very easy to point out when people are struggling with guilt because they begin to disconnect or they're, they're, you know, they're, there's some, some issues going on. They begin to disconnect. It could happen in a relationship, and all of a sudden, one person has just become silent and disengaging. Not that every time is guilt, but maybe something's heavy on their heart. And I'm wondering if Peter did not have something heavy on his heart, that he began to disengage, he began to separate himself. Maybe he was struggling with a tremendous amount of guilt. For those of you who have been around long enough, you've heard my story, but there was a time where I really walked away from the Lord. Not because I didn't believe in Him. Not because I didn't believe that He was raised from the dead. I knew in my heart that Jesus was Lord. That He was Savior. But I was so overwhelmed with guilt and frustrated with my own life that I was ready to walk away. For those who know my story, you know that I had this supernatural encounter. I was ready to walk away because I was just so burdened with guilt. So who needs a second chance? The person who struggles with guilt. I feel like I'm preaching to Mario here, but I pray that it resonates with you and maybe you can picture yourself in one of these situations. Who else needs a second chance? The one who repeatedly sins. Maybe, uh, like Peter, you think you've gone too far. You can't be restored. 
You've done too much. You've had too many maybe sinful thoughts. And you're thinking, I'm out. So it's not just guilt, but it's just like overwhelming. Like, you know what? I've done my best, but I'm, I'm done. The one who repeatedly, constantly is sinning. Again, I only can refer to my life. I don't know your story, but I imagine you could say that's me too. That's me too. There was a, um, a story my professor, Dr. Wilson, told me from Southeastern. And I won't read the whole story, but it, there was a story about, uh, I'm going to mention IBM. Does anybody know who IBM is? Okay. Can you imagine that we live in a world where people may not know what IBM is? There was a young executive at IBM, um, and he was involved in a, a, a risky investment for the company. And he ended up losing $10 million. And he was called into the office of the main owner, uh, president and founder, Tom Watson, who was 40 years older. And the, the young investor thought he was going to be fired. He went in with guilt and fear. And he says, I guess you've invited me into the office for my resignation. And the President, Dr. Uh, Mr. Watson, was caught off guard. And he says, no, uh, you must be kidding because I just invested $10 million in your life. Well, think about it. He's learned something through his failures. And hopefully he taught him a lesson. And I pray that as, as Peter, as we look at Peter's life, that we see God's love. And even though we've made $10 million mistakes, that he's invested in us. This is what we talked about last week, about the cross and the weeks before leading up to Easter. Mr. Watson says, I can't afford your resignation. Reminds me of my, I used to have a dog. I don't know if you remember, I used to have a Rottweiler, beautiful Rottweiler. But it seemed like every three, four months, I was investing lots of money in the dog. One time he ate a, a stuffed animal and we had to get him surgically you know, it was like a thousand bucks. You know, he, uh, our dog had this issue, and we had to spend money, and you know, vaccinations, and you know, the yearly checkups, and you know, next thing you know, uh, this two hundred dollar dog was costing me uh, a lot more than two hundred dollars. For those of you who have pets, you know what I'm talking about. And there were times where I thought we should just put him down, just put Baya down. And I kept thinking to myself, we've invested too much. We've invested too much. You better be a good dog. We've invested too much. And I would say that Jesus has invested too much in us. And so I believe that that's what Jesus did on the cross for us. It wasn't Jesus giving up on me that day at the lake. It wasn't Jesus giving up on Peter. As a matter of fact, we're going to see here what Jesus actually does. So my next little slide here is what needs to be restored. How do we bring back this relationship with Jesus? I look at it, the compassion of Jesus. Three times he came to him after the resurrection. Jesus goes to them 
and meets them at the beach. At every story that we could read, and we're not going to read them all, we're going to see that Jesus is the initiator. And the recipient, Peter, and us, we need to receive his compassion towards us. He is compassionately pursuing us. If you're, you don't really know Jesus this morning, he's, he's calling you and passionately and compassionately calling on you to have a relationship with him. If you're far from him this day, you know him, you believe him, but maybe living in sin, you've strayed. He's compassionately calling you back to his life and his heart. And if you're strong with him, and you say, Pastor Mario, I'm strong with him, then he's calling you to launch into a deeper and compassionate relationship with Jesus. The second thing for restoration, I believe, has to happen is what would I call confrontation. I'm reading a book, and it's a great book. All of us should read it. It's called um, Crucial Conversation. And its sister book is called Crucial Accountability. It's not a Christian book, but it's a, a book about uh, relationships, like business relationships and office uh, relationships, how, how to have crucial conversations. And part of that is confronting people. Everybody loves to see someone get confronted, but nobody wants to be confronted. And I believe without a shadow of a doubt, restoration does not happen without confrontation with Jesus. Sometimes Sunday mornings could be that. You're confronted with Jesus. You know, I keep thinking to myself about our church, and I'm wondering, you know, uh, I take the, myself not so seriously because, you know, I, I showed you those video bloopers and I, I'm, you know, I messed up and I don't mind showing you videos of me messing up. But I do take living for Jesus really serious because there are serious eternal consequences. And so this, on Sunday mornings, I would love to just give you 30 minutes of comedy and a two-minute snippet of truth and I think we would all just leave kind of jovial but eternity is serious business following Jesus is serious business and so uh, when I preach I know I come across as pretty serious and it's partly because I see I see the end results if we don't get this thing right we don't get it right as we talked a few weeks ago I remember asking if the piano is not tuned the piece isn't played, played right. If, if a calculation is wrong, you're not going to end in your destination. You know, can you imagine if you're an astronaut and your spacecraft is going to, it's pinpointed how to, you know, make it through the atmosphere and, and circle the moon and, and land perfectly. Can you imagine if someone says, I'm 90% sure I'm right. Like, what? You're not going to land on the moon. And if you're off by uh, 1% a day, where will you end up? I think it's called Sigma 6 or Sigma 7, I can't remember. There's whole business concept of, of minimizing, minimizing the risk. So that's why UPS counts steps. They're, tr they're trying to minimize their expenses so that that tenth of a 1% can take them over the top financially. But can you imagine airlines 
we're 99% safe record. We're 95% safe record. You, you wouldn't be in business. And so the confrontation with Jesus that we have on Sundays is because it's serious business. Because there is a place that we want to end up, and that's with Jesus. So Jesus confronts Peter, and he asks him, do you love me? And he asks him three times. Now, we can go into the debate, like, what did he actually mean? You know, because he changes uh, the words a little bit. Sometimes people ask, what does he mean by these? Do you love me more than these? Was he talking about his other disciples? When he talks about love, do you love me? Uh, he was using the word agape, but then he changes it back to uh, phileo, and then he goes back and forth. And, and so most biblical scholars believe it. Jesus spoke in Aramaic, and, he, and there was no distinction. I think Jesus asked the question three times for these two reasons. To confront Peter, and for Peter to recall his past failures. But not to leave him there. But the challenge and to confront him was like, do you really love me? Peter, because just a few weeks ago you were telling me how much you love me, but do you really love me now? So I believe Jesus wants to deal with Peter's authenticity, his authentic desire. Do you really love me? Three times. And the third thing, this is really important. Is to have a contrite heart. And Psalms 51 7 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. We talked about years ago in the, on the Beatitudes blessed are those who mourn. It's not a bad thing to grieve over our sins, not to stay in there, but to grieve. Lord, I've failed you this week. Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy towards me. Thank you for confronting me with your Holy Spirit and bringing conviction in my life because he's always trying to bring restoration and, and to bring it back together. I'm almost through here. One of my favorite authors, I like to read Max Lucado. He writes, and I'm going to finish with this little thing that he writes. His book called A Gentle Thunder. There are two fires in Peter's life, in Peter's story. There's the fire of denial, and then there's the fire of discovery. The first fire was built by men. The second fire was built by Christ. The first fire, Peter denied Jesus. The second fire, Peter confesses him. So how did Peter go from one fire to the next? How did his journey go from a denial to discovery? Part of that is Peter's tears at the cross of Jesus. And I believe both are essential. If Peter never shed a tear, but only known the cross, I believe he would know arrogance. But if Peter shed tears but not seen the cross, he would only know despair. But because he did both, 
came to redemption. And this is Max Lucado's finishing up. He says, mingle the tears of the sinners with the cross of the Savior, and the result is a joyful escort out of the canyon of guilt. And I say, amen. Amen. So as we look at Peter's life and we looked outside um, after the, the resurrection, what does it take? What does it take in order for us to be restored with Jesus to those who need second chances? And I believe all of us fit in that category, right? Just have to be married a week to realize you need Jesus. We've been raising our four kids, uh, three grandkids uh, the last four days. Uh, we need Jesus. I need Jesus. When I was a young buck, young married guy, I didn't realize how selfish I was. And I joke around with some of the young guys, uh, young parents here. Uh, we, you know, we were taking care of our grandkids. I said, raising kids is like riding a bike. It came back naturally to me. And I was joking, like, basically, I wasn't doing anything. Let Robin do it all. And so, and I'm being honest here, it, it did come back to me. But I really had to overcome those natural instincts of just let, let Robin handle it. Now, I don't know what kind of grade she'd give me, but hopefully better than what I did uh, 28 years ago. But I asked the Lord to give me conviction, you know, to bring back that, that restoration of, of being that parent that I needed to be. Lord, convict me to be that disciple, that follower of Jesus that he needs me to be. So the Bible says to, here it says here in, in um, Psalms, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Someone asks us to bow our heads and close our eyes. And I'm just going to ask you to quickly raise your hand after this question. I'm not going to ask you to come up to the front. But I'm going to ask you, you're going to, I'm going to say, anybody here, you say, Pastor Mario, I need prayer. I'm struggling. I need a second chance with my relationship with Jesus. I'm not saying that you're not saved. I'm just saying that you, you've been confronted. You've been confronted. That you just raise your hand. Yes, amen. Put your hands down. Amen. The Holy Spirit loves us. That's why he confronts us. That's why he confronts us. He doesn't want to keep us wallowing in our, our sinful behavior or, or mourning for things that we no longer have to hold on to. He wants to bring restoration. But Lord, I pray right now for those who raised their hands and those who didn't have the courage to raise their hands, and that would have been me many times. Lord, that you would bring Holy Spirit conviction and that you would confront us. And Lord, that we would receive that confrontation as Jesus confronted Peter and challenged him. Lord, I pray that you would challenge us. And Lord, that we would have a, a humble heart to receive that correction. That we would receive that correction. 
Lord, we recognize that sometimes you use life circumstances to bring correction. Not all the time, but sometimes. Sometimes you use people. And Lord, help us not to be defensive. We do love you, Father. And I know that you love us. And we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. 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 We want to thank you for listening. We pray that you were blessed and encouraged. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to this podcast and listen whenever you like. To find out more about Mosaic Church, please visit www.mosaicchurchtlh.com.